the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The John Steigerwald Show, sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Portions of today's program may be pre-recorded. Did you watch Joe Biden on 60 Minutes? Yeah, neither did I. Uh, I watched football. I can't sit through more than a, I don't know, 45-second soundbite with the big guy. And I always know I can catch the highlights, and there's always news busters to do the watching for you. And I guess it was another slobber fest, or at least a softball fest. Uh, The big guy hadn't done a one-on-one interview in about seven months, and it seems like a lot has happened during that time. Uh, I think pretty much over the last seven months. I I might have tuned in if I thought that, you know, he would be grilled about the evidence that he lied about his knowledge of Hunter's business dealings. But he wasn't. He did say, quote, there's not a single thing that I have observed at all from that that would affect me or the United States relative to my son, Hunter. And I guess uh, Scott Pelley bought that answer. He should have been grilled for 10 minutes on this, but he got off. And he wasn't asked if men can get pregnant. And I'm going I'm to be watching this because that's the question that every Democrat running for office needs to be asked from here to, the, to Election Day. Uh, and Pelly referred to him as a devout Catholic without pressing him on uh, how you can be one of those and be okay with abortion on demand right up until birth, which uh, Joe apparently is okay with. Well, getting the president to do a one-on-one interview used to be something to brag about. Remember that? And, and it should be something to brag about, really, when, uh, when you get him to, to do his first one in seven months. But you know what? We've reached the point where a media outlet should be embarrassed if Joe Biden agrees to do a sit-down sit down interview with it because it's become so obvious that he would never sit down with anyone who might ask him a tough question or a series of tough questions without letting him off the hook. So if you watched football like I did instead, uh, I think uh, we both made the right choice there. Meanwhile, in our second half hour, we're going to talk with Jeffrey McCall, our uh, media ethics guy. He's a professor of communications at DePaul University. And coming up after the break, we'll talk to Adam Angievsky of OpenTheBooks.com about what he calls the government's war on transparency. And he's not just talking about Democrats. Stick around. With crime surging, John Fetterman has a scheme that would make it worse. We could reduce our prison population by a third and not make anyone less safe. John Fetterman is wrong. Dead wrong. Releasing felons makes everyone less safe. Look at the news. It was reported that five men released from Pennsylvania prison were charged in six homicides. One of them strangled a grandmother. Another brutally killed a two-year-old. Yet John Fetterman is trying to get as many criminals out of prison as he can, saying this. I have made getting them out of prison like the most critical thing I'll I'll ever do. John Fetterman's making everyone less safe. Far left Fetterman is dangerously liberal on crime and too far left for Pennsylvania. Senate Leadership Fund paid for and is responsible for the content of this advertising. Not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. www.senateleadershipfund.org You've all helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now Mike Lindell, the inventor and CEO, wants to give back exclusively to his listeners. This is John Stagerwald. The Percale and Giza Dream bedsheet sets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're all on sale for as low as $29.98 with our listener promo code. Order now because when they're gone, they're gone. 
fun. The Percale and Giza Dream Sheets are breathable and they have a cold, crisp feel. These come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. There's a limited supply, so be sure to order now. Call 1-800-716-8087, use the promo code STAG, or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code STAG. This offer will not last long, so order now with promo code STAG at MyPillow.com for this radio-exclusive offer on all bed sheets. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, Do you know how much you're really paying for life insurance through work? I can almost guarantee you're overpaying for limited coverage. I'm Joel Clark, a select quote agent for over 20 years. My clients are shocked to learn how expensive life insurance at work really is because of a rate that's driven up by unhealthy people. Why pay more when you don't have to? For over 35 years, SelectQuote has helped people save 50% or more by shopping highly rated insurance carriers. I found a 40-year-old man with high blood pressure, a $500,000 policy for only $18 a month. Don't procrastinate. Workplace Open Enrollment will be here soon. Let SelectQuo save you money and get you the coverage you need to protect your family. For your free quote in just minutes, call 1-800-865-2266. That's 1-800-865-2266. 1-800-865-2266. Or go to SelectQuo.com. Full details on example policy and carrier ratings at SelectQuo.com slash commercials. Price could vary by health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. Inflation is soaring. Prices are going up everywhere except Legacy Box. That's right. When our number people wanted us to raise prices, we said heck no. That's un-American. When times get tough, Legacy Box stands strong. Introducing the Legacy Box Inflation Busters Sale. Not $15 a tape, not $12, 9 Yes, just $9 a videotape. We're in a race to save your family's recorded past from the risk of fires, natural disasters, and the decay of time. Don't let this summer's heat age your videotapes, film reels, and fade your photos. Legacy Box saves your memories by professionally converting all your analog formats to digital on thumb drive or the cloud. And it's all done here in the USA. Legacy Box is simple and safe with over a million satisfied customers. For a limited time, you can get started for just $9 a tape. Visit LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to get our $9 sale. That's LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to get our $9 offer. LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. The election is uh, seven weeks from tomorrow, I think. Uh, And if you're a sane person, you're hoping that the Democrats are knocked out of power. The Republicans have spent a lot of time talking about the ridiculous amount of money that's been spent by the Democrats, especially lately. But the Republicans are pretty good at wasting money, too, and uh, being uh, unwilling to talk about it. Adam Andrzejewski is the founder of of OpenTheBooks.com, and he joins us now. Adam, good to have you back on. Thanks for coming on. Hey, John. It's always great to be on your program. You and I were skating to where the puck is going, not where the puck is. So if the <laughs> Republicans take the House, they got the power of the purse, and I want to make sure they stand for transparency, and it's not a done deal. Yeah, you, you published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, I guess it was yesterday, and it, the headline is, The Government's War on Transparency. And I noticed that you didn't call it the Democrats' war on transparency. So what have the Republicans been hiding? So Republicans are just like like Democrats in this regard. They always run for office on the issue of transparency, always promising to open the books. Then once they get elected, typically they run away from it. There's a few exceptions to this. One was a good friend of yours and mine for many years. He was the legendary U.S. senator from Oklahoma, Dr. Tom Coburn. And Coburn, he actually partnered with then U.S. Senator from Illinois, Barack, Barack Obama, to open the federal checkbook for, to sunshine for the first time ever. So Coburn was a good Republican, led on the issue. However, in this uh, Wall Street Journal piece, we detail the fact that the House Republicans, just about a year and a half ago, they took a secret vote and they voted to join majority Democrats, empowering Nancy Pelosi as Speaker by giving her the power to greenlit earmarks. So 102 Republicans voted yes in a secret vote to join Democrats to bring back the currency of corruption in Congress. That's earmarks. That's, you know, pet projects doled out by the House Speaker uh, to bribe members for their vote on omnibus spending bills. Uh, Then you had 
Uh, 23 newly elected Republicans turned right around and they requested almost $400 million worth of those earmarked pet projects in their own districts. Oh, well, give me an example, if you can, uh, Adam, of an earmark. What's a good one? So here's here's one that uh, a Republican freshman, uh, Jake LaTurner in Kansas, he requested $3 million for green buses for the city of Topeka. <laughs> Electric buses. Yeah. So did he get Yeah, them? he ran, you know... He's a, he was a former top fiscal officer in the state of Kansas. He ran as a fiscal conservative, and he turns right around, embraces earmarks, and and requests from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi these green buses, these electronic buses in Topeka, Kansas. Millions of dollars. Your money and my money funding those buses in Topeka. That's what he wanted. Well, I'm glad to hear that the Topeka is going to have electric buses. I was worried about that. Um, but here's, the, here's my question, though. Oh, now, does that... Does that just get thrown into something else, uh, a, a much bigger bill? You said omnibus, omnibus bill, and and it's they kind of sneak it in there. Is that how it works? Well, they have to, you know, under the quote unquote new rules for earmarks, uh, they they have to list the earmarks. However, they don't put the member's name on the earmarks. They don't put the district. You know, we have to do all this ancillary research, which takes a ton of time to tie everything out. So it really isn't transparency. It's fake transparency. So they can spend about $10 billion of taxpayer money. That's that's how much went out the door last year on earmarks. Amazing. So uh, the the piece you wrote is about transparency. So uh, what about the National Institute of Health, the NIH? Uh, It seems to be about a lot more than Tony Fauci, who's bad enough. Yeah, so we noticed, you know, I mean, certainly everybody felt that big government was very close to big pharma during the pandemic. And we wanted to know just how close they were. So we filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the National Institutes of Health. That's Tony Fauci's employer. We wanted the database of third-party paid royalties. You see, when an NIH scientist has an invention... They license it to the private sector, and the private sector pays royalties back to NIH, and we now know its leaders and about 2,200 of its scientists. We want to know how much money flowed in the last decade back to the agency, its leaders, and its scientists. And it turns out we had to sue in federal court. Judicial Watch is our lawyers, and we're now able to estimate that in the last decade, over $300 million dollars enrich the agency, its leaders, and its scientists. So um, why is that a bad thing? What, what is, um, if, if, that's, if that's kind of the deal going in, that these scientists, are, 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 is their research being funded by the government, and then when, they, then when they come up with something that's profitable, they get the money thrown back at them? Is that the problem? Yeah, I mean, every single one of those third-party paid royalties is a potential conflict of interest. Here's what we know. Every single year, NIH doles out $30 billion to 56,000 healthcare entities. They basically now buy the entire healthcare complex in the United States. It's a tremendous amount of money. And we, no one knew how much money was then going back through the other door, back to the agency, its leaders, and its scientists. And so now we know it was over $300 million during the past decade. But here's what we still don't know. NIH is still being very secretive. Although I can tell you, John, the top line numbers. Here's what I can't tell you. I can't tell you what each of the individual scientists, we can see their name, but we don't know how much they individually received in royalties. For instance, Collins, Francis Collins, who used to head up the agency, got royalties. I don't know how much money he got. We still don't know how much money Anthony Fauci got. We've got other leaders over there that run like the National Institutes of Cancer. They're some of the largest royalty receivers, and we don't know the amounts they received. We don't know the name of the third-party payer, think pharmaceutical company. They redacted. They blacked out the name of the company. They also blacked out the invention, the patent and license numbers. So we got to go back into court to try to get a full and complete database so we can start to follow the money. 
What's the um, the reason they give for redacting the name of the company? They cite, and we think it's specious. We don't think they have a good argument, but they are citing exemptions to the Federal Freedom of Information Act. Now, here's the deal. In 2005, the Associated Press, they filed the exact same Freedom of Information Act request we did. And guess what? They got the whole database. We're getting a, a heavily redacted database. And I think it's wrong. They need to open the books. They need to come clean with the American people. But if they're... If they're um if they're not disclosing this stuff based on a technicality, then that's just – they're convicting themselves of a lack of transparency right there. Well, I, still – Well, they are. He, but just because they can doesn't mean they should. Absolutely. And that's – you saw last week Dr. Rand Paul had Dr. Anthony Fauci in the hot seat on this issue. Our team at OpenTheBooks.com, we launched this issue on a national basis. We had to sue in federal court for it. NIH refused to even acknowledge our Freedom of Information Act request. We've made this an issue, but I got to give kudos to Dr. Paul. He has put Fauci twice now in the hot seat on the royalties issue, and Fauci has come up basically fully lacking in his responses. So kudos to, to Rand Paul for, for taking the issue and running it hard. Well, he obviously doesn't feel compelled to answer. Uh, he's, I mean, he's being yeah, grilled by doesn't. a United States senator. What do you got to do to get him to answer the questions? Seriously. We need, you know, we need new leadership and new blood in Congress to, you know, Congress needs to start executing on their constitutional duty of oversight of the federal agencies, period. So, um OpenTheBooks.com should not be the group that's getting this information. You shouldn't have to be digging for it. Is that what you're saying? That it's just... Absolutely. The Congress should here's just another, do it. Here's another transparency issue. So Tony Fauci has to file every year an ethics and financial disclosure. In 2018 and 19, we had to sue for those in federal court. And you remember Roger Marshall in January had Fauci in the hot seat, again, in a Senate hearing for five minutes, quizzing him on his finances. And Fauci misled the country. He said, my finances are public, are public knowledge. And it wasn't so. We were suing for them. Fast forward to Fauci's 2021 ethics and financial disclosures. They're still not released. It's almost October. In many years, they're released in, in February. The latest they were ever released was in August. We're coming up on October now. They're not public knowledge. We're going to have to sue again on the Fauci financials. We're talking to Adam Angievsky. He's the founder of OpenTheBooks.com. So this is, um, this is uh, uh, again, it's a case of I don't have to show you that. Uh, you can't make me. And it, it's supposed to be voluntary. Well, here's, here's another one with the Fauci's. You got Mrs. Fauci. We're suing for her uh, job contract for any... Uh, ethics and financial disclosures. You know, most people don't know, but she's the chief bioethicist at the National Institutes of Health, Fauci's employer. So while Fauci was crafting the healthcare policy during the pandemic, she was craft. She was she had his back. She was crafting the uh, moral and you know she was testing every issue and writing cases to fat to uh, to back her husband's policies from a moral and ethical standpoint. And and she's the top ethics officer over there and she's being unethical they will not respond to our freedom of information act request for her employment documents well, what is it they're hiding though what what is it i mean they're obviously hiding something because if yeah. they and, and there's not enough obviously you guys do a great job of putting um focusing on this and shining a light on it but the the media in general don't seem to be all that interested yeah, they're not, because Fauci's their golden boy. He is the pinnacle of elite and elite control uh, in this country. And it seems like that's what the left wants nowadays. So, so they're not going to attack him. You know, at OpenTheBooks.com, we come from the, the uh, healthy skepticism that our founders had toward elite control. In America, the experiment rests with regular people, all of us, making decisions with freedom and liberty to maximize our own freedom and liberty. And that's the way the country has become the greatest nation in the history of the world. Or, you know, if we wanted a king, 
It would have been a different country. Right. Well, Gavin Newsom out in California would like to be president. Um, he seems to be a big fan of pay-to-play, I guess. <laughs> well, it was a knockdown, 10-year drag-out fight to open the line-by-line expenditures in the state of California. Our organization at OpenTheBooks.com, we went through two California controllers who rejected our sunshine request. We sued them in 2020, a Sacramento Superior Court judge. We lost that case. He ruled against us. We got nothing. So we shifted to Plan B, John. We filed in four months 442 sunshine requests with every single state agency. We, they produced the record, their line-by-line spending, and we put the California checkbook together like a jigsaw puzzle. We did what the governor, the controller, the attorney general who backed the controller against us in court, what the judge, what lawmakers, what the state bureaucrats refused to do. We opened the line-by-line spending in the state of California. And what did you find? Uh, uh, you found that the, <laughs> they, the, the people who gave him money uh, for his campaign seemed to get some money kicked back uh, for other things. So we took Newsom's campaign donor disclosures, we matched it up against the state vendor list, and we found that Governor Newsom solicited a 1,000 state vendors for $10.6 million in campaign donations. Those 1,000 state vendors received over $6 billion in state payments in just the last fiscal year. So if you're seeing around the country, Florida, Texas, South Dakota, I'm sure it's coming to Pennsylvania. Governor Newsom's campaign ads, mm-hmm. you know, he has figured out how to publicly finance those ads by taking donations from state vendors. Those state vendors are recycling just a portion of the profits of their state contract back into Governor Newsom's campaign fund. It's public finance. It's quasi public financing of Governor Newsom's campaign fund. Well, speaking of South Dakota, that's a Republican state with a popular governor, Christy Noma, who I like a lot. But they seem to be pretty good at keeping things secret. Yeah, and, you know, we reached out. We reached out to everybody to try to get them to cure. But we reached out to her administration to try to cure this before we put it in the Wall Street Journal. Because this is outrageous. John, you know, last year, our organization, we filed 47,000 Freedom of Information Act requests. We got every payroll from 50,000 public bodies across the country, except for the South Dakota uh, state employees. They want you to use a website. You got to know how to spell the name, key it in and get them one at a time. They got 8,000 employees. So they told you they only had an obligation to give you one name at a time. Yes. And you, and you have to know who you're asking for. (laughs) And, and so Look, we took a look at the law and public employee salaries in South Dakota. Bingo. They're, they're supposed to be subject to transparency. So, so they did an, they did a administrative rule where you could only get one at a time. And we wanted her to eliminate the rule. And I went right up to their general counsel, her top lawyer in her administration. And, and they refused to get rid of the rule. And so we put them in the Wall Street Journal. What, they, what reason do they give you? They don't give the reasons. They just, they just, not they just we, we don't have to, so therefore just, we won't. That's right. Amazing. Yeah, a couple I, minutes. And I, you know, we sent them exactly what we were going to print ahead of time, give, give them an opportunity to correct the very bad administrative rule. This is what we do. We don't want to embarrass people. We just want better policy. They mm-hmm. refuse to come in and respect the people in the state of South Dakota and across the country. So how do we fix this? Who's Mark Mills? Mark Mills wrote a book, and it's a book on our future. It's called The Cloud Revolution, and it's super optimistic about the future of the United States of America. If we embrace freedom and liberty, we get back to our, the fundamental underpinnings of this country. We're going to have a revolution that, that will create more wealth than at any other time in the history of the world. He says we're just getting started. But what gets in the way of that, that revolution is if government controls everything. So it's a battle. It's a battle between the citizens and the people who are supposed to represent us. He calls it the, it's cl- the new arms race. The cloud revolution. What's, what does he mean by that? So it's a, it's a uh, revolution that impacts every aspect of human activity, including the government. It's, it's technology on steroids. And, uh, and so, you know, the future is bright. 
So that was especially that, that was, here he, in America. He's talking about he's talking about I'm out of time, but he's he's talking about um, giving the citizens the ability to just go into a website and get all this information that you just talked about without them being able to yeah. stonewall it. Yeah, all information will be available to everybody all the time. Wonderful. We'll see how that works out. Adam, always great to have you on. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you, John. Okay, that's Adam Angievsky. Openthebooks.com. Check it out. We'll be back. With SRN News, I'm Jason Walker. Little is known at this hour but a huge earthquake has hit central Mexico reportedly with a magnitude of 7.5. No word as yet on any casualties. Crowds massing earlier in the day in the streets of London, later at Windsor Castle, to honor Queen Elizabeth II, whose 70-year reign defined an age. In a country known for pageantry, it was the first state funeral since Winston Churchill's. A top Russian security official on a visit to China says the Kremlin considers beefing up ties with Beijing as a top policy goal. Nikolai Petrushev describes the strengthening of the comprehensive partnership and strategic cooperation as an unconditional priority to Russia's foreign policy. This is SRN News. First, we decide where we want to go. Then we need to know the best way to get there. Hi, my name's Adam Barada. I'm the owner of Advantage Gold. We're the highest rated precious metals firm in the country. We teach people how to own physical gold and silver. Now, we've won the Best of TrustLink Award four years in a row because we educate our clients on how to buy gold and silver the right way. We don't pay celebrity spokespeople millions of dollars. We'd rather pass that value on to you. Call 800-900-8000 and speak with one of our experts. We'll send you a free gold kit along with my latest number one national best-selling book, The Great Devaluation. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Get the best information, the best process, the best service, the best value. Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Consult with your financial advisor before investing. Jay Sekulow doesn't agree with the vice president. The first request we made, pass a bill to create a pathway to citizenship. The border is secure. So painful it's secure, to get to there. You mean by secure, it's not secure. That's, that's Yeah, I mean, we, we all know it's not secure. Yeah, no, I mean, look, she should be honest in saying we have a disaster at the southern border. Secular. Weeknights at 6, right before Brandon Tatum at 7 on AM 1250. The answer. Whose rule book do you want to play by? The government's or your own? This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Without a proper estate plan, many families end up playing by the government's rulebook and losing a lot of what they'd intended to leave to their families. That's why Abernathy and Hagerman presents free, ongoing estate planning workshops with attorney Dan Reimer to help you protect what's yours and make sure the government plays by your rules. The next one's happening soon. For details and to attend, visit a-h.law. Hi, I'm Jackie Dorman. Are you longing to find your soulmate, but you're tired of online dating, singles ministries, blind dates, or even being set up on bad dates by well-meaning family and friends? If none of that's worked for you and you have no idea how to meet marriage-minded men or even truly Christian men who will seek you out for a lasting, committed relationship without the head games, then I invite you to join me in my free Married in 12 Months Challenge. Look. There's nothing good or sacred or even noble about sitting in the waiting room. So in this challenge, I'm going to teach you why now is your time to find love. What are the lies that are holding you back? Why God wants you married? The biblical law of attraction and the tools you need to become a bride. Don't wait any longer. Just sign up for my free Married in 12 Months Challenge today at lovestories.com and you can step into the love story that God has already written about you. That's lovestories.com. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP, Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on The Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got The Answer. All jammed up on the Parkway West outbound. It's an accident blocking the right lane approaching Carnegie, jammed from the Fort Pitt Bridge on out, barely moving. On the Parkway East, 
your inbound trip heavy downtown 2nd Avenue to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Outbound not doing too badly. Delays on inbound 28 volume from Gamma Drive to Delafield Avenue. McKees Rocks Bridge, that's construction delays. Work continues through July of next year. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer. Weather. Partly cloudy skies for tonight. We'll see patchy late night fog at a low of 58. Patchy morning fog tomorrow. Otherwise, times of clouds and sun tomorrow's high 77. Turning cloudy tomorrow night with a low of 59. Wednesday will be humid with variable cloudiness. A gusty thunderstorm in the afternoon will reach a high Wednesday of 80. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. The John Steigerwall Show. AM 1250, The Answer. Well, the national media spent most of today doing wall-to-wall coverage of Queen Elizabeth's funeral procession and funeral. I think they started at 5.30 in the morning, something like that. Uh, I didn't watch any of it because I overdosed on it about a week ago. But did the death of the Queen of England deserve the coverage that was given to it over the last week and a half or so? Jeffrey McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University, media critic for The Hill. He joins us now. Jeff, always good to have you on. Thanks for coming back. You're welcome, John. So, uh, is it a tough call for the networks, Jeff? Do, do they feel obligated to, to, to give it coverage like this, or should they feel obligated? Well, it's not a tough call for them because they think that they're going to get a lot of people to watch. So that makes it an easy call for them because they think that they're going to generate some eyeballs. But I actually wish they would give a little more consideration to whether or not it's all that important. You know, in the news business, they talk about trying to do news stories that have high impact which means that you're covering topics that affect a lot of people. Uh, and this is a topic that for United States citizens basically has no high impact. I don't know uh, how the death of the queen changes the lives of anybody in the United States. That's not to say that she wasn't a prominent person uh, or, you know, did some good things in her life, but this is basically just uh, pretty much flat out a human interest story and I'm not opposed to doing human, human interest journalism, uh, but to go wall to wall and to send so many reporters and correspondents over there and to do live broadcasts ad nauseum, to me, was a little bit uh, overdone. Uh, and I think, you know, the thing is, when, when we have stories like this that get overdone, the question I always ask is, what is not being covered by these major news organizations while they're investing so much time and energy into covering something that's not that important? And the answer is, there are a lot of big things going on in the world that would deserve more coverage and have higher impact, as we talked about, uh, with American citizens, uh, the economy, the open border, the crime surge, all kinds of things. I mean, the Fed's going to be meeting this week to jack up interest rates again. That's going to affect a lot of Americans with their credit cards and their mortgages and all kinds of things. Um, and I would think that, you know, sensible news judgment would dictate that we cover the queen, give it proper respect, even cover the human interest angle from the standpoint that people are interested in the life of a royal. But let's not get overdone here. And in fact, one of the reasons I think so many people are interested in that uh, matter with the queen is that they've been told by all the network anchors, oh, this is really important. And I'm thinking, well, at a certain point, like, okay, you think it's important? Like, maybe it is. But I would, I would question that judgment, and I think that probably we were done a disservice, not that it was covered, but with the magnitude of coverage. Um, and I saw a, a, a couple of minutes of it on Good Morning America by accident this morning, uh, and uh, it seemed like it was getting the Entertainment Tonight treatment. I mean, I, I, I only watched for, like, I can, I can only take a couple minutes of it because it was just repetition and and it was just pictures of people marching and you know all the, the all the uh, pageantry and all that but it was getting the entertainment tonight treatment and it didn't seem like a funeral it seemed like they were covering uh I don't know the uh the red carpet at the at the at the uh academy awards or something it just yeah well that's an interesting observation uh and one that I share because uh, it wasn't so much that we're looking at the death of a prominent person. Uh, it was more like, look at the celebration, look at the pageantry. And honestly, over the last week or two, we've probably heard more discussion about Harry and Meghan and what their role is in the whole thing, or they were spotted here or there, or 
you know, they're getting along with William or not. And I'm just thinking, we've kind of distracted ourselves even away from the Queen at certain times yeah. to focus more on kind of the, the surrounding drama which at a certain point is, is also nonsensical. Well, I don't know. This not so much having to do with the media, but I would hope that someone like the Queen, if she is somewhere uh, um, able to see this, <laughs> looking down on it, that she would be embarrassed at some point herself. Like, okay, uh, come on, this is 10 days. Um, it just, I, I would, I would, I would admire a political person, politician, or whatever you want to call her, a government leader, a lot more if they said, hey, do me a favor and don't overdo this. You're embarrassing me and everybody else. I, you know, yeah. That's just me. Well, and and the, the, the people left behind, in particular King Charles now, I think might have been one of the people to kind of try to reel things in a little bit. But, you know, when it comes to the royals, there's kind of like no topping them and uh, kind of excess seems to be the standard. We're talking to Jeff McCall, professor of communications at DePaul University, a media critic for The Hill. So, Jeff, uh, 60 Minutes had a uh, one-on-one interview with Joe Biden that ran last night, uh, mostly softball questions, of course. I mentioned in the opening of the show that, uh, well, first of all, I didn't watch it. I, I, I can't do that, but I, I, I watched the highlights. But And I, I want to get your take on this, because I mentioned that, that Biden is so reluctant to take questions that it may have reached the point where media outlets should be embarrassed if he agrees to talk to them because they know how soft that that just a, it's proof that you're soft that you would that if he agrees to talk to you you must not be doing a very good job that's is that, am I wrong well no I think you make a good point there and here's one of the things too I think any news organization that would get the the, the president to interview with them might well have to agree to certain circumstances going in. And, you know, again, I don't, you know, want to cast any dispersions on Scott Pelley, but my guess is CBS probably had to make some concessions in terms of the time and the nature of the the questions and the duration and all that kind of stuff. And honestly, if, if I were, if I were the 60 minutes executive producer, I would have tried to create a continuous interview where Biden would have been had had to sit down and in you know twenty or thirty minutes straight engage in discussion unedited because the, unedited because yeah. the one thing we're missing from yesterday's you know concoction is what he said that was taken out mm-hmm. and uh, and also we noticed that it was a highly edited piece it was highly edited so we know that they probably picked out the the parts that would be most sympathetic to the president. And again, I'm not trying to say that we're, we should go out to make the president look bad, but I think we should let the president look like he is in real life. And I got the impression several times that CBS was putting together a mosaic for us that was designed to kind of get at some of the news, but not necessarily show us the, the, the cold hard truth of whether Biden can sit down and take a straight interview with hard-hitting questions for 30 minutes. And you notice there were a couple of times Scott Pelley even helped him with his answer. Yep. Which yep. I think is, is again, I, I know he's trying to be gracious and trying to be professional, but there's a point where, as a news guy, you ask the questions and you don't help the newsmaker, you know, round out the questions or fill in the answers or whatever. And... You know, Pelley's, I'm sure, got to make sure that he doesn't get crossways with the Biden handlers uh, or the woke mob or whatever. But the, the the overall thing was a little bit too processed for me. Although I must say, there were times when I thought Pelley actually got into some good areas for discussion. The problem is we don't know whether that discussion took its natural course or whether some of Biden's answers ended up, as they say, on the cutting room floor. Because one of the things I thought was interesting was he asked Biden about if he had the stamina for the job. Mm-hmm. I and, saw Biden's that answer, yeah. and Biden's answer was, watch me. Mm-hmm. And Pelley should have jumped in right then and said, we have been watching, that's why I asked this question. And then he, he, could, he well could have jumped in and said, you've had over 50 trips back to your Delaware vacation home since you became president. Yep. That doesn't, that doesn't look to us like a really vigorous kind of schedule. This looks like somebody 
who's taken a lot of time off here. Um, so, I mean, he, he had some opportunities to press the president uh, in what I think would have been a journalistically sound fashion, uh, and he passed up on those. And even when he asked Biden if he had the focus to do the job, you notice Biden's answer was not very focused. <laughs> no, it, wasn't. Um, it wasn't focused at all, actually. But Pelley didn't really follow up and say, well, this is what we're talking about. I asked you if you had focus in the last 30 seconds. You haven't told me anything. Um, so, And again, I wonder how much of even that was edited. Yeah. Because if that's the part they put in, I, I shudder to think what might have been the yeah. worst part of that interview that was edited out. That's a very good point for people who don't understand how TV works. Uh, it's very easy to take a soundbite uh, and run the first 15 seconds of a 40-second soundbite, and it makes uh, total diff- uh, it, it's a uh, It's a completely uh, different version of what he said just because – and sometimes it's negative, sometimes it's positive. Sometimes it helps the subject out. Sometimes it really hurts because you don't let him explain the first 15 seconds of the soundbite. You cut it right there. I, I dealt with that in working in TV all my life, and I, I always, when I was working with the editor, and there was a time issue, and they'd say, look, we've got to cut this bite short and make it 25 seconds instead of 40, and I would say, I'm not doing that because it's not fair. He, he went on to clarify what he just said here in the last 15 seconds. It's not fair to him because we, want, we have our time limitations to cut it. So, that, I mean, that, that, that's kind of what happens in that situation, but... What you just described there, uh, Jeff, again, uh, he only does that show because he knows that what you just described is going to happen, that he's not going to get the tough question. And if, and if I'm doing the show or if, uh, if, if um, someone less friendly to the Democrats were doing the show, how do you not get uh, – there, I don't know if you've seen this. There's, a, there's like a 12-minute compilation – of sound bites of Democrats questioning the 2016 election, and and Biden just a week or so ago did a did a uh, speech where he uh, talked about how terrible anybody who questions an election is and it's un-American and it's uh, it's fascist. And I'm sorry, but don't you have to make him sit and watch Hillary Clinton and 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 Kamala Harris and all those people questioning the 2016 election and get yeah, make I him comment he- on it? Sure, I think you do. And in fact, Pelly teed him up to kind of defend his, you know, comments about the MAGA crowd and even question whether or not his speech in Philadelphia a week and a half or so ago was divisive. But he never really drove that point home and never brought up about the questions about the 2016 election that uh, Trump eventually won. So, yeah, he missed his opportunities there. And again, um, Pelly had some good moments, and I mean, so I don't want to make, I don't want to like give him an yeah, episode. But, but excuse me, but, but, but Jeff, he he's been around a long time. He knows and, better, and you know, I guess if I were grading him, I'd say this is probably a C minus. It yeah. wasn't a disaster, but you you missed opportunities to go through, and also I think even Pelly is subject to the producers' decisions behind the scenes because you know, even though he's the correspondent, those producers behind the scenes have a lot of power in determining. What, what hits the editing room floor and that sort of thing. And uh, Pelly's the face of that interview, but there are a lot of other people who are making decisions, and we don't know necessarily who those were on what basis they made their decisions. Well, you're a professor uh, of communications. Uh, on to another subject here. What do you make of Harvard um, hiring Brian Stalter, who was fired by CNN and, I don't know, widely criticized as a, as a biased hack, uh, getting a media fellowship at Harvard, whatever that is. Yeah, well, I must say I was disappointed because um, I don't know that Stelter is such an intellect that he needs to be at Harvard trying to educate the next generation of public affairs journalists. But, you know, part of the thing for me is that uh, Harvard, I think, kind of just uh, fully confirmed that rather than to have a public affairs school where they're trying to look at issues seriously, they confirm that they're an ideological think tank and that they only want to have certain people in there who are going to espouse their points of view. And, and, and believe you me, if uh, tomorrow Fox News were to uh, uh, cut loose Tucker Carlson, uh, Harvard would not be calling him, 
next week to come out there to no. show up to educate the next group of journalists going into the world because they would consider him too polarizing. Mm-hmm. Although, actually, if you were to say, who would you rather have at a school educating journalist, Tucker Carlson or Stelter? Well, Tucker Carlson has reached a lot more people over the years than Stelter by a long shot. So if, uh, if audience is a measure of success, Stelter, who would not be the first candidate to hire in there because his ratings were dreadful. Yep, yeah. And I don't, uh, I don't remember Bill O'Reilly getting any fellowships when he left uh, Fox. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of the thing here is the, these, these journalism schools and schools of public affairs are now just so shamelessly partisan that, and they wonder why people don't take them seriously anymore. I'm thinking that this is why mm-hmm. you, you don't bring in any attempt to have a wide ranging discussion or viewpoint diversity. Uh, and when they, when they hire ideological hacks, uh, which I think Stelter is, uh, you can't be surprised that people are not going to take you seriously. And I think that's where we are. And that, that, it disappoints me to have to say that as somebody who's worked for a long time in higher education, because I'd like to think that there are greater ideals that we should be ascribing to. But uh, when, when you get into such crass ideology dissemination, uh, I think you're letting down not only your institution and your students, but you're letting down the society where you're supposed to be preparing for people to go in to a society and be critical thinkers. Yeah, and, and actually, if you want to do the students right, uh, you want to do right by the students, you would bring in Stalter and Bill O'Reilly and have them dis- have discussions in front of them. And Absolutely. It, but that's, that would be, make too much sense. So I've got a couple minutes left here. Uh, what about Don Lemon, speaking of uh, CNN, being moved from uh, primetime to mornings at CNN? He says he wasn't demoted. But is this a sign that uh, CNN's new management is serious about changing, it, changing its approach, you think? Well, they're shaking things up. I've got to give them credit for that because, uh, you know, for, for months, you know, we've been talking about CNN needs a change in direction, and we can see that they're shaking things up. Uh, whatever Don Lemon says, well, Don Lemon has a credibility problem to begin with, as you, as you know. Right. Uh, but when he says it's not a demotion, it almost is like, then, okay, for sure it's a demotion. <laughs> because, because if you're in prime time, yeah. all right, uh, and then suddenly you're, at, you're putting in a morning show where the ratings have been bad, uh, you're, you're not getting sent to Siberia necessarily. But uh, I don't think you could look at it as anything other than a demotion. Because, you know, People who are in the professional journalism world want to be when the most potential viewers are available. Right. The most potential viewers are available in primetime television and not at 6 in the morning when he's going to be buried. Well, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm, sur- I'm, I'm surprised they kept him at all, though. I, I really thought, actually, that CNN should just find a way to minimize him or cut him loose. And there may, there may be contractual things that prevent them from being able to do that so easily. But uh, he is going into the morning. It's certainly a demotion. Yeah, and I, uh, as a journalist myself, prefer being in bed at three o'clock in the morning and not getting up and heading for heading for my five. What I don't know, seven o'clock in the morning, whatever time he comes on. Uh, I, I prefer working the prime time to uh, waking up in the middle of the night for the rest of my life, which is what he's been sentenced to. Well, maybe they were just trying to make his life so inconvenient that after six or eight months of this, he'll say, hey, this is for the birds. I'm yeah. the, I need to go do something else. He can go to Harvard with Stelter. <laughs> hey, Jeff, always good to have you. We'll talk to you in a few weeks. Uh, great having I w- you on. I love having you on. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's Jeffrey McCall. Always great stuff from him. Uh, and uh, he's a professor of communication at DePaul University. We'll be right back. The 1619 Project was created by the New York Times with the purpose of canceling our nation's founding in 1776 and replacing it with a claim that America was actually a slaveocracy founded in 1619. This false fictional history of America is now being taught in a public school classroom near you. That's why you need to read Mary Graybar's book, Debunking the 1619 Project, Exposing the Plan to Divide America, now in paperback. The 1619 Project has become part of the curriculum for 75% of America's students as early as second grade. When you read 
debunking the 1619 Project, you'll get an in-depth look at the false and divisive tactics being used to characterize America as a nation of oppression. Dennis Prager calls debunking the 1619 Project the unvarnished truth about a fundamentally decent country, the United States of America. The 1619 Project is a dangerous collection of race-based obsessions that makes Mary Graybar's book, Debunking the 1619 Project, an essential read for concerned parents and educators. Get your copy of Debunking the 1619 Project by Mary Graybar, now in paperback wherever books are sold. Hi, I'm Todd Saylor, the author of the book, The Brand, and the Attitudinal Disorder, Wired Differently. One of the keys to finding personal success is to start by realizing what makes you unique and therefore special. Many people in the world tend to suppress their views mainly because they feel it may not fit the general overall narrative of society. However, in the world that's changing so rapidly, giving yourself permission to be unique will be rewarding. I know this because I have, like so many others, been wired differently. Learning how to leverage your strengths, build self-confidence, and creates a more positive outlook on life. Wired Differently is geared towards helping people stand out, especially those who have felt different or alone. In my series of books, I encourage people to be who they are. And if they are different, then be bold enough to admit it and own it and become successful in it. Discover a new world of opportunity at ToddSailor.com. That's Todd, S-A-Y-L-O-R.com. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. How about a little Steeler Monday to finish up here? Uh, If you've been listening here, you know that since uh, um, Najee Harris showed up as the number one draft pick and uh, the guy who was going to help the Steelers' offense, and and I think it was Art Rooney II, uh, he, he insisted that they improve the running game and all that stuff. And uh, I have uh, well, I've taken some hit from my friends in the media because I've been saying from the beginning I'm just not impressed. Uh, for a guy who was the first running back picked in the uh, draft, he should uh, be better. He should look better. Now, everybody's uh, instant reaction to that is the offensive line stinks. Nobody would gain yards behind that. Okay, here's the problem that people can't seem to understand. At least I don't think they understand it. I get that the offensive line is not good, okay? But that's when when you have an offensive line is not good, you have to understand that whoever the the running back is is not going to be as good as he might be behind a good offensive line. It's any any but any running back can gain yardage running through big holes. My point is this. He's now he's now touched the ball like 400 times since he's come since he started playing last year. Have you seen one spectacular play that you that you could immediately identify and say, oh yeah, that 87-yard run he made against such and such hasn't happened. So he should have by this time done something to show that he deserved to be a number one draft pick. He's had 400 chances to do it. It hasn't happened yet. He's had the opportunity to prove that he's great, by overcoming a not-so-good offensive line. Tomorrow, we have Peter Navarro, Donald Trump's right-hand man. He's written a new book, Taking Back Trump's America. Talk to you tomorrow. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow fan. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.